Today, Rinpoche explained that all scholars reinforce the idea that special insight is a result of calm abiding. Calm abiding serves as the basis for that arisal. Now, there is one differing view in the highest yoga tantric vehicle where there is an idea of simultaneous arisal, but it is not found anywhere else. Okay. Let's do Jip. Jipja? Jeju? Rimshi, Guzu Depi and Beth? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Jipja, Jeju, Jenny. 482. That's okay. Sorry, going to get my page. The she. Then Then Okay, that's cool. There's no other glasses over here. Maybe on the floor. Mikshe Jenda Ale Chishina de Chikshina. Maybe these are better. Can't see anything with those. Hey, just Sasha, could you grab my phone and stuff? Thank you so much. Is there a drink over there? No, I meant. Did I? I brought one. No. Okay. It's not my car then. Perfect. <laughs> all right. So, uh, welcome everybody. Thank you all for coming. We are going to begin on page twenty-four. Uh, um, you'll see right where it says 482, kind of towards the bottom. Uh, 482, then it says, hence insight requires meditative serenity as a cause. Um, so that's where we will be. I just want to... Okay. Then dig some Rinpoche. Just Kamachi Ditsuko, Gangisun and Kuntalika. Yeah, I don't think these are these are old too, but this will work. Oh, great. Not on my car. Just throw it. Seriously. Why? It's got a cap. It's plastic. I'm worried that it's going to wind up in the text behind you. Makes sense. Okay, we be, we good? We good to go? Okay. Dig song say do. What I got so tanji jimbe shin na. Kiji so le shin wa shin ju shin ju le shin wa yi. Tanji pa du ti ba yi. Tanji pa du ti ba yi no. Tanji jimbe shin tanji ko mon de. Kiji so le so le shin wa re. Shin ju shin ju le shin wa tanji pa du ti ba.
Şimdi o da ne zaman var be? So, welcome everyone to the Chenrezig Tibetan Buddhist Center. Uh, when we look at the necessities, or the things that are necessary to become a Buddha, we'll see that there are various components. And in Kamala, the beginning of Kamala Shila's stages of meditation, uh, you find that represented in a clear form. Uh, if you ask, what are the causes and conditions of the final fruit of omniscience? So here it uh, begins with saying that really the root um, of all of this, we, we find great compassion. Um, but then it goes on to say that that then is what sprouts into other things that are, qual are qualities needed. If you ask, what are the causes and conditions of the final fruit of omniscience? I, who am like a blind man, may not be in a position to explain by myself what I shall employ the, the Buddha's own words, but I shall employ the Buddha's own words just as he spoke them to his disciples after his enlightenment. He said, Vajrapani, Lord of Secrets, the transcendental wisdom of omniscience. Hold on, it's going in there. Hey, just uh, everyone downstairs, all the voices are going into the video. Just letting you know. I guess it's loud in the video. We all done? Okay, good. I'll reread uh, Kamala Shila's holy words. If you ask, what are the causes and conditions of the final fruit of omniscience? I, who am like a blind man, may not be in a position to explain by myself, but I shall employ the Buddha's own words just as he spoke them to his disciples after his enlightenment. He said, Vajrapani, Lord of Secrets, the transcendental wisdom of omniscience has its root in compassion and arises from a cause, the altruistic thought, the awakening mind of bodhicitta, and the perfection of skillful means. Therefore, if you are interested in achieving omniscience, you need to practice these three, compassion, the awakening mind of bodhicitta, and skillful means. And that's uh, from Kamala Shila's Stages of Meditation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay. I'm sorry. Uh we are on page uh we haven't really started yet, but we're on page 23. Um, 
uh, right at the bottom, um, but it, it, I'm sorry. I, page 24, uh, right at the bottom, it says 482. I'm sorry, I'm looking at a different book right now. I'm trying to find a definition. Just, I'm sorry. Okay, where was I? Okay, but that's not, okay. All right, so uh, right now we've arrived at the section on calm abiding and special insight. And in the, this particular vehicle, we state that calm abiding is the cause of special insight. It works in a cause and effect uh, way. There's a relationship like that. When we look at highest yoga tantra, there is an assertion that calm abiding and special insight can um, occur at the same time. Uh, so it, there's a little bit of a difference of an idea, but according to this vehicle, it's a cause, there's a cause and effect relationship. First you achieve this basis of calm abiding, and then you utilize that to transform it into a special insight. Or special insight is able to be created um, from the, the basis of calm abiding. Uh, so when we look at the definition of calm abiding, it's a stabilization arisen from a meditation conjoined uh, with a special uh, pliancy. Um, and then uh, the, then, then uh, the definition of special insight, I had it tabbed off, oh, I'm sorry. Um, okay, causal prerequisites, special insight uh, means sight exceeding that of calm abiding because a clarity is afforded through analysis. Um, so, hold on, that's not the actual. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, here we go. So, the special insight, a wisdom of thorough discrimination of phenomena conjoined with special pliancy induced by the power of analysis. Um, so, these, this is uh, the definition of special insight. Um, so, um, and then if we look at the etymology as a note, special insight means sight and exceeding. Um, so, chlach uh, means like uh, higher than, the greatest, um, and tong means seeing. So, if you look at the Tibetan word, chlatong, chlakpa is highest, um, chlapasum, the three highest higher trainings. Um, and then we have the tong, um, which means to see. Tong uh, lam, um, the path of seeing. So it's the same tong. So the actual special sight is, uh, so then we use the word special insight. Um, so um, there is this cause and effect relationship in the tradition that we're looking at, but then again, just as a note, everyone has to understand that highest yoga tantra explains it differently. Um, Chubecha Lomasum. Okay. Nene? Juchi. Juchi Shinet 
Okay. So hence, insight requires, uh, once you have attained a meditative stabilization, serenity, then even the analytical meditation of discerning wisdom will culminate in pliancy. Hence, insight requires meditative serenity as a cause. This will be explained below. Discerning wisdom becomes insight when, without focusing on a single object, it can generate pliancy through the power of analysis. So generating pliancy by setting your attention on a single object of meditation, even if the object is emptiness, is nothing more than a way to achieve serenity that alone does not count as attaining insight. Why? If you thus first seek an understanding of selflessness, analyzing its meaning again and again, it will be impossible to achieve serenity on the basis of this analysis since you have not previously achieved serenity. If you do stabilizing meditation without analysis, you will achieve serenity on that basis. However, as there is no way to sustain insight except by sustaining serenity, you have to seek the insight later. Hence, this does not fall outside the pattern in which previously sought serenity, you cultivate insight based on it. Ditarne Sandin dans Shiro Jitimba, Rebatan Laber, 
Accordingly, the way insight develops is that discerning analytical meditation generates pliancy. If this were not so, there would be there would 
not be the slightest good reason to seek serenity first and then cultivate insight based on it. I read the paragraph before it, correct? Thank you. Uh, Failing to do these meditations in this order is quite inappropriate because the sutra unraveling the intended meaning states in a passage cited above that you cultivate insight on the basis of having attained serenity. Also, the order of meditative stabilizations and wisdom among the six perfections, of which is said that the latter develop based on the former, as well as the sequence in which training in higher wisdom is based on training on high, in higher concentration, are in agreement with the sequence in which, having previously cultivated serenity, you la- later cultivate insight. Asanga's bodhisattva's levels, cited earlier, and his shravaka levels, the shravaka bhumi, indicate that insight is cultivated on the basis of meditative serenity. So this I- cause and effect relationship that you first achieve calm abiding and then as a basis of that calm abiding you then can transform that into special insight. Um, So it says uh, also Baba Vega's heart of the middle way the Madhyamika Shridaya Shantideva's engaging in the Bodhisattva deeds the Bodhichara avatar and Kamala Shila's three stages of meditation the Yana Kirti and Ratna Karasanti all state that you cultivate insight previously seeking serenity. Some Indian masters claim that without seeking serenity separately, you generate insight from the outset through analysis by discerning wisdom. Since this view contradicts the text of the great trailblazers, the wise deem it to be untrustworthy. Uh, so there is this position, though, that is in the highest yoga tantra. This is speaking in terms of the traditions of the sutra and the sequence of, of insight and um, calm abiding and insight. So it's stating that the sources that state that you first achieve special insight in some way um, through analysis and, um, and that it isn't required to have calm abiding are inaccurate if it's within the context of the sutra teachings. Now, in the highest yoga tantra, and I said I asked Rinpoche if it was specific to that. It's not in any of the yogic tantras. He said specifically highest yoga tantra, where you find this idea of this um, simultaneous realization of calm abiding and special insight. Um, Some Indian masters claim that without seeking serenity separately, you generate insight from the outset through analysis by discerning wisdom. Since this view contradicts the texts of the great trailblazers, the wise deem it untrustworthy. So, it, it the Rinpoche, the Lamatsong Kapa, the Ka, the Nijralana Mepi Ju Kagamare, the the Kepa Kashi, the Dola. Sampa the tambo latung then a shine. Rubert. That tambo shine then the latung shizawa. Rubert. Never go by lame maduba. Don't do the congolanda, chamber dog jiba was. My lame madu and tomashine then the latung to you today. My lame madu jiba is. My lame la shine the latung jiba the jiba 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 Lame Mato Bandonga to the Congolan Dora Chamber Dagajibo was. My Lame Lula Chenet the Latin Jesu are you? Jeton the Chenet the Latin Jesus, Tombachine, then the Latin, 
Okay, so I was just clarifying that Lama Tsongkhapa is being specific to the teachings within this context of the sutra teachings. Um, and it isn't negating the view in the highest yoga tantra that there's a simultaneous arisal. It's stating that within the context of these teachings that don't, um, just as a translator's note, that don't get into the drops and the channels and the winds and all of those different things, that allow for the arisal of the simultaneous calm abiding and special insight. That's not even discussed in these kind of teachings. So in these kind of teachings where commentators have stated that this order isn't necessary, it's not a trustworthy source. So it's not negating that the, the highest yoga tantra's idea of simultaneous arisal. It's negating the idea that within this context there are, there are some that state that. Okay. Uh, um, this is the sequence in which you newly develop serenity and insight for the first time. Later, the sequence is indefinite as you may cultivate uh, serenity after p- previously cultivating insight. So, qualm. Asanga's compendium of knowledge states some attain insight but do not attain serenity. They strive for serenity on the basis of insight. How do you account for this? Reply. This means that they have not attained the serenity of the actual first meditative stabilization. So the, the levels, the nine levels of um, concentration levels, that's what this is speaking of. The f- they haven't achieved the first concentration level, um, so which is the levels of single-pointed concentration. It's saying that that person hasn't achieved that yet. Um, or beyond. It does not preclude their having attained the serenity which is included in the access to the first meditative stabilization. Also, once you have percept once you have perceptual knowledge of the four truths, you can establish on that basis the serenity of the actual first meditative stabilization and the higher meditative stabilizations. For Asanga's levels of yogic deeds says Moreover, you can ira- accurately know the reality of the truths from suffering to path without having attained the first meditative stabilization, etc. As soon as this knowledge of the truth occurs, you stabilize your mind and do not analyze phenomena. Based on this higher wisdom, you pursue the practice of the higher states of consciousness. In general, for the sake of comprehensive terminology, the nine mental states are called meditative serenity and the fourfold analysis is called insight. However, you must apply the terms actual serenity and actual insight as will be explained after the generation of pliancy. So it's, it's showing that there can be something that you name as such, but it's not actual, actual this or that. So it'll be explained... Uh, later. Um, yeah. Okay, that's Gangasina the Sarpa lives Sarpa Lepson. Susur Latsu Sondela 
Okay, Chuche. 
de la Gomrim. Okay, Tuche. All right, so now we've moved on to a new chapter and um, preparing for meditative serenity. Uh, so, how to train in each. This has three sections. Uh, so, there'll be three categories how to train in meditative serenity, how to train in insight, how to unite them. How to train in meditative serenity has three parts. Relying on the preconditions for meditative serenity, how to cultivate serenity on that basis, and the measure of successful cultivation of serenity. So back to category one, relying on the conditions for meditative serenity. At the outset, the yogi should rely on the preconditions for serenity, which make it possible to achieve serenity quickly and comfortably. There are six, so six conditions that help you to achieve calm abiding. Uh, dwelling in an appropriate place. Uh, the area should have five qualities or attributes. Easy access so that necessities such as food and clothing can be readily obtained. Um, second, being in a good place to live where there are no wild beasts or, or such as predators and no enemies, so people who are going to harm you around. Being on a good piece of ground and that it does not breed sickness so that the place where there isn't disease and so forth. Um, offering good companionship insofar as your companions are ethically disciplined and like-minded. Um, and then number six, being well-suited, uh, situated in as much as there are not many people ab about in the day and little noise at night. So there isn't a lot of coming and going in the place you are during the, uh, um, during the day and quiet at night. And then we have a quote from Maitreya's ornament for the Mahayana Sutra. The intelligent practice in a place which is accessible is a good place to live, offers good ground and good companions, and has the requisites for comfortable yogic practice. Uh, number two, uh, so this is among that main six. So those five were just of the first. Uh, number two, having little desire. You do not strongly crave more or better robes, etc. And then the next category is being content. Uh, so this is your content that you, even if you have the poorest robes, that you're content with them. Uh, so um, the four, completely giving up many activities. You give up base activities such as buying and selling. You also abandon excessive socializing with householders and renunciates, as well as pursuits such as medicine and astrology. So it's saying that the um, uh, socializing um, should be minimum because of the distraction and it's it's not saying just with householders it's saying with other monks and nuns or renunciates um, those who have chosen to gone forth go forth um, pure ethical discipline you do not violate precepts doing deeds that are wrong by nature or wrong by prohibition either in the case of vows of individual liberation or in the case of bodhisattva vows. If you do not violate them through carelessness, you restore them promptly with regret in accordance with the teaching. Uh, number six, completely getting rid of thoughts of desire, etc. In the case of desires, contemplate their disadvantages in this lifetime, such as their leading to being killed or imprisoned, as well as their disadvantages for the future, such as their leading to rebirth in the miserable realms. Alternatively, eliminate all thoughts of desire and such by meditating with the thought that everything in cyclic existence, pleasant or unpleasant, is ephemeral, ephemeral and impermanent. Since it is certain that I will shortly be separated from all these things, why should I crave them? Uh, so we're going to do question and answer now. Um, uh, and we'll start, we'll do question and answer now. 
Dan has a question. My question is about um, understanding um, lack of inherent existence and impermanence. Um, so it is taught that all things are impermanent and that they are impermanent in a momentary way, not just that they are impermanent, that they'll, they'll, they'll disintegrate eventually. Hold on one second. Yep. It's not taught that all things are impermanent. So I just I have to. That's not a teaching. All 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 phenomena are all, all condition compound. compounded phenomena. All compound. Yeah, all, all things that are cause and effect. Yes. Are yes. That's okay. what I mean. I'm sorry. Okay. I just want to make sure. Yeah, you're right. When I phrase yes, the question, right. all compounded phenomena okay. are impermanent. Um, so, for example, all the things around us that we, that appear solid are actually or that are that appear to be permanent are actually permanent uh, impermanent. Right. So, what is the power that causes them to to be perceived or to, to, to appear to be permanent. How do, you, how do you describe that power or that, that, that um, nature that seems to be persistent over time, that seems to, to be that it is the same over time? What is that power? And then um, how emptiness relates to it? Would um, it be the power that doesn't see that they're empty? Is that what? Potentially, okay. uh, whatever, whatever comes from that, that question. Would okay. be helpful. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Kazondo then the Pakcha Kabane, the Kaba, then Lay, Megewa, Dangewa Lay, and the Guadamoga, Loma, Sheba Jabe, Nubasila Baja, Tuche. So, in answering that, uh, all compound phenomena are impermanent, but we incorrectly perceive them as being permanent. We see them as um, having this static 
um, certain identity that they don't have. Um, so where does this come from? Um, all of our experiences and all of our actions come from the predispositions within our mental continuum, the imprints within our mind. So the positive imprints uh, are, uh, give rise to positive experience actions. The negative imprints give rise to negative experience and action. So wrong view, wrong consciousness or mistaken view uh, is caused from some sort of mistaken or negative previous imprint that is, gives rise to the experience that we have or the perception, if you will, that we have. That's when Rimshe says experience, he, he's referring to what we're perceiving and, and the relationship we have with that object. So that all comes from previous imprints um, and virtuous imprints are those that give rise to clarity and those things that are not mistaken about objects. The, the imprints that are there that would recognize that this is impermanent, that would be a positive predisposition uh, that were left there. So we have three possibilities of action that we can engage in, and action also through mental movement, thinking. Um, we have virtuous, non-virtuous, and that which has not been presented in, in Scripture. So all of those things that we carry out leave some sort of imprint in our, con our continuum for more of the same or a different experience based on whatever imprint that we leave. Um, so more familiarization with the wrong idea leads to a reinforcement of this, these imprints and makes for them to be more likely to arise um, because they're more potent. Um, so that's how it, um, imprints are created through action um, and then how behaviors are reinforced, thought patterns are reinforced, and then how things are experienced. Okay. And, then, and then also how things can be reversed by correct um, um, reading something that is not mistaken would be a positive imprint, you were a wisdom. So creating wisdom basically. Yeah. Okay, Rinpoche, one more question. Um, one of the things that has <laughs> caused me to have the slightest amount of, um, oh, sorry, the slightest amount of, of uh, a kind of like a, a lack of faith or lessening of my faith is in understanding and wrapping my head around um, the meaning of the wrathful deities um, because um, just their, their overall expression is, is something that's just very contrary to um, what you would consider to be like virtuous or compassionate image mm -hmm. you know you, you, you know with skulls and the blood and the, the thing and the entrails and you know so so it, it to it, I for, for one on the one hand to be able to understand it for myself mm. but also on the other hand to be able to to help others who are first coming to Tibetan Buddhism yeah. to be able to understand that and to, to, to know what it how to just what it means uh, so that they don't get wrong views immediately and lose faith yeah just as a translator's note and then I'll absolutely ask the question I, I feel that it's one of the biggest mistakes that was made with the introduction to Buddhism in the States is that that's high that's Tantra 
All of that stuff is Tantra, which doesn't even get studied if you are looking at the scripture properly until you're a bodhisattva. And you could understand why wrath could be converted into something positive. But as Westerners, we, we get it all, and we want the highest first, and then we're, we look at these images and we misinterpret them. And yes, I've known many people who were thrown off by that, or who um, having the experiences that you are speaking of, um, when those images require years of study to understand. Um, Rimache. The Arila Natsu the Shetang Mambo Yure, then Shetang Kashi, Paulden Lamo, the Lunglang Dang Drabudu, and then the Nampa Sarpa Kashi, the Tona, then Konsu Tsampa, the Ken Sabudu, and Garshine Lunglang, then Nampi Chu, the Kontro Ka, the Kontro Shamba, the Kontro Nepo Shamba. Then Garshene, then Nejopa, the Long Long Dandrar. Then the Lapja, Yurabe, Gangensena, the Arila, the May Mambo, the Yanjer Yongamari, Gangensena, Ken Sapo Tsampa do. Then the Yayom Dana, Ken Sapo Tsampa, then Yanjer Yongamare, then Lapja, Yurabe. And Garshene Consul Long Long. This is a sound ソウルとと自分のオーガで。ソウルとと自分のオーガで。ガーシュナのオーガで。ソウルとと自分のオーガで。ソウルとと自分のオーガで。ソウルとと自分のオーガで。ソウルとと自分のオーガで。ソウル
because anger is non-virtuous and they don't have any non-virtue in their continuum. So it's like anger, but it's not actual anger. Um, then the, um, so the, uh, I, the, um, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, an enlightened activity. It's uh, skillful means. Um, it's utilizing certain behaviors that are needed at specific times that an enlightened being knows are needed at a specific time in order to transform a being. So Rinpoche was saying that wrathful deities aren't for everyone. Um, it's individuals' own affinities and connections. And some people are very connected and have a lot of anger and feel very connected to that and, and can need, have this need for this transformation and quickly can relate to that. Um, but it's absolutely, there is not anger there, and it's a use of skillful means. That um, Sansan, the Ama, Pugu Chun Chun, the Lunglangamari, Yene, the Situ Dandrar. And so Rinpoche uses, I just wanted to make sure it was okay, the example at times. And of course, sometimes the mother is angry, but when a mother or a, a father uses very strong language towards the child in order to let them know that it's very bad um, what they're doing so that in the future they won't be hurt. Um, so it's out of love that they're using this kind of strong language towards the child, but it's not out of any anger or hatred towards the child. It's out of the exact opposite. So the motivation is so that that child will have happiness in the causes of happiness and be free from suffering in the causes of suffering. So it's, uh, the, Bodhi, the Buddha's motivation um, is utilizing that wrathful um, stance um, um, in order for one to understand that you're fighting an enemy of the afflictions. Um, so yeah, it's having a proper soldier for battle, if you will. <laughs> does, that, does it also potentially like, play out in terms of how potentially um, a, a guru or teacher might relate to his students with not just always peacefulness but sometimes wrathfulness in a way to try to help them to awaken that maybe sometimes some people need forcefulness in order to Well, absolutely. I mean, they yeah. hit you with malas in the head. So yeah. I'm going to go with yes, but I'll ask that question. I mean, absolutely they use harsh words. I'm, I'm saying that if you go to India, you'll actually see that some of the younger monks and they're playing around and not paying attention. They'll just to get their attention, they'll like wrap them on the head with a mala. Um, so the Sansan, the Gegen, the Getru, Sansan, Gegen, the Contro Dandrar, Yene Long Long Amare, the Gen Geshe Lopsang Gompo, the Sansan Kong, Contro Dandrar, Yene Shamba, the Yerbe. Yes. Yeah, so I was, I'm giving an example, and Rimshe is saying yes. Uh, there's my old teacher, our old teacher, Geshe Lopsang Gompo, was the discipline master for Drepung Losaling for the whole, and uh, for the ceremonies and so forth. And he was considered such a good discipline master that the Dalai Lama appointed him a second time. And it doesn't happen. You, they only usually follow one term. But Geshe La was very good at what he did because he was um, very stern, those of us who knew him. I mean, he would, if you had your book on the floor, he'd get up from where he was sitting, come over to you in the middle of a class and pick your book up and go, no. I mean, that's the kind of teacher that he was. But he wasn't showing off. He wasn't angry. 
um, you know, he he was just out of complete love. And when you knew him, there was no way you would think that he was angry. But he was the most stern llama that I've ever known. And then other people in this room might have never seen that side of him, and he was like a teddy bear. But for some of us and his real, real um, root students in India, he was so harsh. When I, he told me that I couldn't stay up late to debate. Real quick story about Geshe-la. Um, Rinpoche is very tired today. So, um, uh, real quick story. So, I would in India, I would stay up late. Because of my ego, I love debating. And I was good at it. And we were debating colors and very simple stuff with like the 10-year-old. So, it was my speed. Um, so, I would memorize the book and go out. And I, you would, most people had, would stay till 11 or 12 at night and then go home and go to bed. She had to be up at 4.30 or 5 and do prayers, and then debate started again, etc. And uh, Geshe-la knew, he heard through the grapevine, that I was staying out too late debating. So he stayed out on the porch one night. I came home at like 2. And all of a sudden, I hear screaming at the top of like old man screaming lungs. And it's Geshe-la on his porch yelling at me to go to bed and telling me that there's no way I'm going to be able to memorize what he taught me that, that day by morning when he was going to give me an examination. So one student, he has thousands of students, but for me, he sat on that porch at 70, 60, 70 years old and waited because he had heard I was out debating late. You know, so this this was just the kind of um, love that these teachers express, um, but it doesn't always feel very good at all. I remember we were Rimche and I were in the old place reciting a Guru Puja by ourselves, and we got done, and I felt like I was really great because he and I had done this practice alone in the room. And he looked at me and he said, "You have no idea how to speak Tibetan, do you?" That was awful. Got up and walked out. So that encouraged me to study more. A little, a little bit. So that's what, yes. So the answer is yes, and I've witnessed it. Any more questions? Coleman. To know um, what age Rinpoche was when he entered a monastery. Rinpoche, chu drapa jay lo gatsu do. Drapa nga lo go lo jay. Lo chunyi, chunyi ni drapa jay. Then the chu tsulukang lo gatsu chinsu. Ah. The tsulukang the gadu gadu peson drapa jay masong yene the lo jung gutso lo lo gu. Lo gu ne lo jung jay bade. Less so. There. Okay, so at, at around nine, eight, uh, he started his studies, and at 12, he became a monk. A few years, 87 now. Yeah, sure, absolutely. We have time for as much as we need. We just, it, yeah. It was and the really hard part of the text, and we were just reading it, so. So there are things kind of going on in the world, in our society, that I find I get very angry about and Absolutely. want to act on. Um, so I was wondering what the balance is between allowing all that just to pass through and seeing it's all transitory and not allowing these things to continue to occur and kind of 
taking correct angry, you know, like angry action. You yeah. kind of talked about this, that channeling that, that there's not anger behind it, but you know, I find that I have an attachment towards good. Like I want these good things to occur and it is a desire. Mm-hmm. And so I want to get rid of these desires. So what's the balance between those two things? ジュ、ジュ、ジュ、ジュ、ジュ、ジュ、ジュ、ジュ、ジュ、ジュ、ジュ、ジュ、ジュ、ジュ、ジュ、ジュ、ジュ、ジュ、ジュ、ジュ、
make sure that your motivation is correct and meditate on um, equanimity, um, which would have you think about your friends, your enemies, and your neutrals, um, thinking about wanting them, that the fact that they all want happiness um, and they don't want to suffer just like you, um, and that all of those have that kind of goal in common. Your friends have that in common, your enemies have that in common, your neutrals have that in common, um, and that just like you, they want to have happiness, and maybe they're going about it in a way that isn't pleasing to you, but they just want to be happy like you, and they don't want to have suffering like you. Um, so you get to a place that is more realistic about the participants, and then you can go about stopping them out of love, out of wanting, for instance, somebody who's doing something bad, uh, you uh, stop them somehow because you care about them. You know they're going about achieving happiness incorrectly and that they're actually causing suffering for themselves. You know what I mean? So uh, you would make sure that your motivation, your, your thinking is changed from anger to pure benefit, but pure benefit for all involved. Does that make sense? So the Rinpoche just really re talked about equanimity, getting to this place of, of evenness, um, where it isn't anger um, and it isn't um, attachment. It's it's somewhere just there that it's not neutral. It's a place of equal concern. That's really the best way to define equanimity. It's an equal concern. Because it's not neutral, which would sound like equanimity means you're just blank. You're, you're cool with them and you're cool with them. That's not it. It means that you actively want to benefit all those parties equally. I hope that helped. I think we're going to end there. Yeah, we'll do a rim Tuche. Concluding mandala offering and dedication prayer. The fundamental ground is scented with incense and strewn with flowers, adorned with Mount Meru, the four continents, the sun and the moon. I imagine this as a Buddha land and offer it. May all sentient beings enjoy this pure realm. I dedicate whatever virtues I have collected for the benefit of the teachings and of all sentient beings and in particular for the essential teachings of Venerable Lozan Drapa to shine forever. I send forth this jeweled mandala to you, precious Guru. I dedicate all this virtue to emulate the knowledge of the hero Manjushri and likewise Samantabhadra as well. With whatever dedication is praised as supreme by all the conquerors who traverse the three times, I also dedicate all my roots of virtue for the sake of auspicious deeds. In that pure land, surrounded by snowy mountains, you are the source of benefit and happiness. All-powerful Avogateshvara, Tenzin Jatso, may you stay until samsara's end. I pray for the long life of the precious Kensar Wandok, upholder of scriptural and realizational doctrines, the spiritual friend who trained extensively in the five great philosophical texts with exceptional wisdom and perseverance. Tuji Rimichi Gutsi Shapi Denronang, Atsu Lamrim Chemo Kanga Triyonang. Kanga.